0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Heads up. This episode, we talk in very real terms about the emotional and physical experience of losing a pregnancy or losing your baby. Now, this episode will not be for all listeners, so please, please take care and skip it if you need to. And if you need support with anything related to miscarriage, here are three websites that you can visit. Miscarriageassociation.org.uk, sayinggoodbye.org, and petalscharity.org. That's petals, like flower petals. If you are expecting a baby and want reassurance, then kickscount.org empowers mums to be with knowledge and confidence. Okay? Let's begin. Welcome to the third episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide, a podcast that celebrates the joys, gets real about the trials, and ultimately aims to help all Black women everywhere to survive and thrive in the wild journey that is parenting. My name's Shandella and I'm head of editorial at Black Ballad, the award winning digital media platform dedicated to the stories and experiences of Black women in Britain and beyond. Now, this episode, we are talking about when things don't go to plan, or more specifically, we're going to be talking about miscarriage and baby loss. Miscarriage is actually quite common, relatively speaking. Around a quarter of women who completed the Black Ballad survey on Black British motherhood that we sent out earlier this year, they said that they had experienced a miscarriage and that matches with the one in four statistic that's commonly known for all women in the UK. But miscarriage seems to be one of those things that no one talks about until it happens to you, if they talk about it at all. And according to our survey, only 36% of black women actually felt comfortable to discuss their experience with family and friends. And almost 60% of black women were not offered and did not seek therapy or any other emotional support after experiencing a miscarriage or baby loss. We had written responses from many women who felt like those closest to them were unwilling or unable to talk about their miscarriage experience. With some family members brushing aside their pain or trauma, or even suggesting that the women themselves were to blame. There is so much stigma around this that I'm really grateful that my friend, Rachel Yvonne, was willing to speak about her own experiences.
0: My name is Rachel Yvonne McIntosh, and I am a singer, songwriter, preacher and coach for women who desire to live a leveled up lifestyle, femininity, spirituality, faith and business. And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is making sure that we are authentic in our story. I'm just excited to be here and be a part of this conversation that we're having today growing up being from a Christian background and being a part of a very you know traditional family it was always my goal that I would one day grow up get married and have children in that order and that, that's something that's always been important to me so I definitely had an idea in my mind of what I'd like I've always wanted to have a big family lots of children and because my parents had me when they were relatively young I also wanted to have children at a younger age and be married and just grow up with my children so that That's what I had in mind. I loved being around children, even when I was at school. And as soon as I was old enough to be one of the what we called, I think they called them prefects or something. When I was in primary school, we were able to go and help and look after the children in the nursery and in the younger ages. So we'd go over and help them in playtime and stuff. And I always volunteered, I always did really well. And I've always had that kind of mothering, nurturing instinct.
1: Now, like Rachel, I too grew up in church, so I can relate to wanting to do things in the way that is seen as the correct order. As I've mentioned earlier on in the series, respectability politics can place this enormous weight on young black girls to not do things wrong. So when you do do things the proper way, surely your reward is that everything goes smoothly. Or at least that's how it should work, right?
0: We'd been married for i trying to remember how long we were married. I think we were married for like a month or something, a month or maybe two months. And I didn't expect to get pregnant as quickly as I did. And I was very, very excited about being pregnant. And I'm trying to remember, gosh, it feels like such a long time ago. But I was really excited. And I remember just feeling like, yes, like this is what I want. Can't wait to be a mom. I'm so excited. I can't remember how long it was before I actually told my husband at the time that I was pregnant, but I did wait until I was 100% sure that I was pregnant. And then we told my parents shortly afterwards, but it was a very exciting time for me. I would say that from the beginning it was pretty normal in terms of how I felt in my body I did suffer a lot with like morning sickness and also had a lot of aches and pains but you know to be honest when I mentioned it to my doctor she was just like well you know you're small frames and it's your first pregnancy so you might feel a bit weird or you might just your body's just going to grow with you so I I really wanted to be a trooper I didn't want to I didn't want to complain so I made sure that I didn't like bother her too much with too many things and even when I went for my midwife appointments and so on I didn't want to like be, be the moaning like first time mum, so I didn't really say everything I was feeling and we were having some problems at home so that wasn't really helping the situation so I was excited but I also had a little bit of fear about how this was going to turn out I wanted to be good at it like I'm very I'm an ambitious person I love to be the best at everything that I do and I kind of like was like maybe I just need to everything doesn't get to be easy. I just kind of like sold into the, the false narrative that like, we just have to be like strong black women and just kind of like get on with it and just soldier on, you know, don't complain too much. Don't say anything. This is what you asked for. So just kind of move along with it. I did mention things to my mom and like to other members of my family. And they would just say things like, oh, you're so busy. Maybe you should calm down or maybe you should just like take a rest or not travel so much and things like that. And to be honest, I probably could have taken a bit more advice and been a bit more relaxed about the pregnancy. That probably didn't help things. But yeah, it was one of those things when I look back now, probably would have made different decisions about it. I was 23 weeks pregnant and I was at a church conference actually that I was directing a choir for. And then the night that I went into labor, I was having contractions, but I didn't know I was having contractions. And I said to one of my colleagues, oh, I won't be able to direct tonight. So she took over. And I remember sitting in one of the back rooms and being in so much pain. But at the same time, I had been to my doctor the week before and she had said, oh, it's fine. It's normal. You know, you're just your body's just adjusting. Just take it easy. So I'm sitting in the back room and suddenly when I went to go and use the bathroom, I noticed there was blood when I wiped. So I didn't freak out too much because, again, I was told that this could be normal. So I kind of just didn't freak out too much. But then I was in so much pain that I went into church and I left again, went back to the bathroom and there was more blood. So I mentioned it to my mother and said that, oh, I feel like I'm a little bit concerned because I'm in a lot of pain and I've got blood and she was like what do you want to do so then I said okay I think we should go to the hospital and so I told my husband and then we managed to get a lift all the way back to where we live in Essex to our local hospital because I really felt more comfortable going back to my actual hospital so we went there we sat there we waited for a few moments we let them know what was happening and then the doctor came to me and was like well we've got bad news for you you're already in labor So you can imagine we're just sitting there as first-time parents Mm. thinking, like, wow, what is it we're supposed to do? And my parents didn't come because they were still at church because obviously we'd all just thought it was a regular kind of just checkup. They're just going to see how we're doing and then we'll see each other at home. So in the space of, like, an hour, I'm being, you know, rushed into theatre. Well, not theatre, but into the labour ward. Mm. And they're like, the baby's coming now. And while I'm in labour the doctor says to me that, oh, at this hospital, we don't do resuscitation below huh? 24 weeks, right? Yeah. I know, I know laws have changed now, but uh, mm. at the time they said, yeah, 23 weeks there's a no-go for us. And they just wanted to let me know. And can you imagine, like, you, you don't, number one, you didn't expect to be in labor. Number two, mm. they're now telling you at this very same time that they're not going to do resuscitation on your child. And I'm just like, All of this emotion at the same time. Obviously, my husband and I, we were not prepared for this. And my parents weren't there. So it was like it was very crazy. And so by the time my parents arrived, I had given birth. And so they're like, what is going on? They hadn't told anyone at the time because again, it was considered just like, oh, just a little bit of a scare. We'll see Rachel later. And so it was all very, very quick. And I didn't really have a lot of time to process everything that was happening at the time. And it was a very traumatic experience, I would say, definitely. But that's generally how, like, the timeline of how fast it all just escalated.
1: The majority of miscarriages take place in the first trimester, which is within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. Some miscarriages can even take place before the woman realises that she's pregnant. But at whatever stage that it occurs, loss is still loss. Which is why personally I am so shocked at the figures that came back that suggest that so many women are not being offered support in the aftermath of a loss. That's almost 60% or 59.8% if you want to get technical.
0: You know, the funny thing is that in 2020, reading and seeing what people are saying about care... I now like look back at different things, especially this in particular, that particular miscarriage. I look back and I think to myself that I was trying so hard to be good and trying so hard not to make a fuss about anything during my pregnancy that I avoided probably getting a higher level of care because you Mm. don't want to be the one they complain about. And it's Mm. just sad that that's what we, you know, we've come to this awareness now being 36 and like, you know, hopefully being pregnant in the future, I will definitely be like much more stronger in my opinions. But I definitely do agree that when I look back, I do see that I didn't get the level of care that I could have gotten if maybe I had been listened to a bit more And if I had put my foot down and not Mm. wanting, you know, we struggle so much as it is with life that you just wonder, why can't I be like the nice black girl this time? And so Mm. if I don't say anything, then they won't go around saying, oh, they're so difficult, you know, Mm. Um, so that definitely has something to do with it for sure.
1: Afterwards, Rachel was able to stay in hospital and see her son before he was taken to the morgue. She says that her family and her faith helped her to get through such a horrendous experience, but, as you might expect, it still placed a strain on her marriage.
0: I definitely feel as though it did affect like relationships. It affected the relationship between me and my husband at the time as well. And it definitely put a strain on our relationship. I wouldn't say it's the reason why we broke up in the end, but I definitely would say that it was a very tough time. And I know like so many couples go through and they all say the same thing that it is a really tough thing to go through as a couple, especially when you you didn't have any warnings. Like it wasn't like I went for a scan and then they were like, Oh, there's troubles, or Mm -hmm. you're going to have this difficulty there were no clues as to what was going to happen um Mm -hmm. all I was told was just you know that your body gets used to pregnancy I am grateful for having such a strong family unit and grateful obviously for my faith because I know for sure if I didn't have those two things I 100% wouldn't have been able to get through any of it so it definitely does leave a strain and it's all about how you deal with it at the
1: time. As Rachel said her first marriage didn't work out but later on she got remarried and became pregnant again and when it came to her care this time around she was more assertive about what she needed from her medical team.
0: I got married again and again it was like quite fast I don't know I feel like I must be pretty fertile or something but anyway (laughs) I I got got married and you know like any good Christian girl I'm like yes I want to have children so Got married, got pregnant, I think within, let me see, uh, within four months. So not as fast as the first time, but still pretty quick. Within four months, I was pregnant again. And this time, because I had still as far apart as the pregnancies were, so we're talking about maybe 10 years apart, So Mm -hmm. as far apart as the pregnancies were, I still wanted to remind my doctors and everything that, hey, this is what happened last time. Mm -hmm. So could you please, you know, listen to me when I'm talking and stuff. So they made sure. So I feel like some of like research has been done since then. And I had a special midwife and I was having scans like every maybe two, two weeks, which is a lot Mm -hmm. more common than most people get. And my last scan was perfect. They were like, everything's fine. We can't see the gender yet. And, you know, everything's fine. So I think I was hopeful because I felt good. Pregnancy is rough on my body. So I was like extra tired and I couldn't walk far distances. And I was having severe back pains throughout pregnancy. And I had very bad morning sickness as well, which meant that when I would try and do some work I would end up like falling asleep or you know Mm. having to put my feet up and stuff which was really hard for me because I love to like go at life I love to travel I love to be you know on stages and things like that so that was tough for me but I knew that the health of my child was paramount for me and in the back of my mind I had the memories of the last pregnancy Mm. but my doctors told me that because it was such a big distance apparently something like seven years it takes for your womb to like really rejuvenate or something like that. So they weren't concerned at all. They were like, oh, it's fine. You should be fine because you've had a full cycle or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, great.
1: Now, I'm going to give another content warning here because I found listening to this part of Rachel's story even harder than her first experience, as it does get quite graphic. So please stop listening now if this could be potentially triggering. And we have the websites that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode in our show notes. Okay, I'll let Rachel continue.
0: Everything was going well. And then suddenly, I remember sitting at my desk doing something and I was feeling very, very nauseous, like heavily nauseous. So I said, okay, I'm going to go and lie down. So I went to lie down and then I started having pains throughout that day. But then I just assumed as you do that it's just like Braxton Hicks or it's just your body Mm -hmm. kind of growing with you. And then I went to sleep and then I woke up because I had some really sharp pains in my stomach. And so I was around... Let me think. I think I was 15 weeks at this time. So kind of like out of the danger zone. Everybody knew by now that I was pregnant because I started to show really, really early on anyway. So I couldn't mm-hmm. really hide it anyway. And so I had some really sharp pains as I was sleeping. And then I went down to touch my stomach and I felt some wetness. And when I turned the light on, I noticed that like I was bleeding. So I'm like oh, freaking gosh. out, obviously, but trying not to freak out because I was at my parents' house. And um, my husband's sleeping beside me and I didn't want to freak anyone out because I'm like, let me just, in my head, I was like, I don't think I'm losing the baby, but let me just go to the bathroom and just like see what's going on. So Mm. I can see what's happening. I sat down on the toilet and then all of a sudden, like my baby, I just, I delivered my baby right there and then. And I just remember thinking, Oh my God, I can't lose my baby. But I didn't know what was happening because it just like Mm. came out of nowhere. And I just had a scan like the week before and everything was Mm. fine. They had put me on aspirin and also extra folic acid because of, they said they wanted to make sure I was clotting and so on and so forth. But Mm. I only started that maybe the week before. So then I remember my brother being the only person awake. So I walked down and I was like, oh, I've just had the baby. And he was like, looking at me. Like, what? I don't, I don't, like, he doesn't understand what I'm saying, obviously, because, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what are you talking Mm. about? So then he's like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I said, no, 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 just you sit down. Let me just clean up. So I think I just went into autopilot. I went to, like, go and get a container because I knew that we'd need to, like, take our baby to the hospital to see if there's anything that could be done or just to Mm. see what was going on. And I tried and tried and tried as much as I could to like pick up whatever I could and pull it inside a container. And then I woke everyone up and I was just like as quiet as I could be just like, hi, everyone. Uh, Mum, can you wake up? Dad, everyone, can you wake up? Because um, I've just had the baby and we used to go to the hospital. So of course everyone's like screaming, running around, like what's going on? What's going on? I'm just like, Um, I haven't flushed the toilet. So could you help me? Like, I need to, Mm. like, you know, I need to see if there's anything more I can get. And I think it was probably that day worse for everyone else than me, because I was just trying to, I'm trying to like, what can I, is there a way I can stop this from happening now? But I'm realizing I can't because I'm like literally holding my baby in my hands and there's nothing, you know, I can't like do anything so Mm -hmm. we went to the hospital and they saw us and everything and it was uh, when I say it was really rough because obviously you have to go back and they have to like make sure all of the pieces of the baby are out and like clean Mm -hmm. you and things and that was really tough and I think that was really tough because you go back to the same pregnancy ward where everybody else is there and they're all pregnant, and it's just a very mm. strange feeling because I was there a week before and everything was fine, and I had no no warning that this was gonna happen and it was it was really 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 tough it was tough. It's just hard because you just don't this time I did it, I really didn't expect it because I was like. I mean, you know me, yeah. I'm, like, very positive. I, like, yeah. try to do as much as I can to, like, make sure everything's going well. So it's, like, what do you do when what you feel like is working doesn't work? So it was was it was it was super tough. We had, like, told everyone we were pregnant. And the reason why I'd already announced it and stuff, like I said, was, number one, I was already showing. And number two, it was, like, this big statement of faith, you know, mm. you know. Eight years ago, however many years ago, it didn't work out so well. But this time, look what, look what's happening. This is, isn't this amazing, you know, mm. and everyone loves a good comeback story. So I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, I'm so happy. And people had already started buying us things. Everyone was excited and everyone was just getting ready for like something new or something fresh. And then everyone knows how much I've always wanted to have children. And so mm. it was a big deal to my family to myself really even and to everyone about you know what was happening and so it was like a massive shock and I had to speak at a conference the next day I did actually I definitely I don't know why I did but I went and spoke at the conference I went and I just did like the one thing I had to do which was it wasn't very long but I had to do one thing and the whole day what was interesting was I was just able to reflect even though it was rough and even though it was unexpected, I still had a sense of hope and peace about it because I knew that I didn't have, I didn't do anything wrong. Like I didn't do anything wrong to have this happen. And I knew that there was nothing that I could have done, but at the same time, yeah, obviously I could have like stayed at home or whatever and they would have understood, but I felt fine about it that day because also I know some women listening will actually be able to relate to this because grief comes in waves and some yeah. days you're actually fine. And then other days you're like, the world is ended. Those like couple of days I was actually good. I was like, okay, cool. You know, life happens. I will be okay. I will heal. My body will heal. We'll be able to move on from this, but the next week, you know, not so good. And so that's how it is sometimes.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. Grief at any time is complicated. But how do you grieve a child that you didn't yet know but have already loved?
0: I do believe and agree with you that grief, when it comes to um, pregnancy loss or infant loss or miscarriage, however we like to describe it, It is very, very complicated because on one hand, you haven't met your child yet, but on the other hand, you have. And there's so much hope, so much promise that you place into this new life that's coming into your house, coming into your home. And to be honest, from the moment that you know you're pregnant, for most mothers, even if you decide not to continue the pregnancy or even if the child is technically unwanted or whatever, there is still an element of, oh my gosh, a life. Whatever Mm -hmm. you decide to do after that is obviously your own choice, your own decisions. But at the same time, there's still the element of some sort of, wow, it is, this is a person, or this could be a person, whatever your beliefs are around, you know, life and birth and so on. But I think that dealing with it in terms of the loss, it is hard when you've already attached yourself to that child. So Mm -hmm. I had already hoped about, you know, whether my son or my daughter, what they're going to look like, what they were going to do, what they were going to be. You know, I, I believe in speaking things into existence. So I was always be like, I sing. So I sing to them and I would speak over them and like ask them how they're doing, like saying, I'm so excited to meet you. And so you're making preparations and you're making room for this thing, for this event, for this person to arrive. And then they never arrive. And so that loss is felt. And even in terms of like as a woman, and you know, I'm 36 now and I still don't have any children that are living. And so there is that sense of like grieving of your youth and grieving what could be and the possibilities of life. And, you know, people talk about your clock and all these kind of things as well. I'm not one to give in to that type of thing. I'm very, very what is for me is for me, regardless of age and circumstances, I I fully believe and trust that I will have children anyway. Like I don't have any doubts around that. However, you do still have those small fears that come up, especially for me where it's been more than once and you're not sure why it's happened. So the grief aspect is more than one thing. It's not just that I miss my children. It's also The time that was spent, the energy, the hope in that future of my children is now gone. And so you're dealing with that on top of everything else you're going through. And then everyone expecting you to be strong. And then some people expecting you to lose it completely. And you can just Mm. never really please everyone. And I'm Mm. learning that through every stage of life, regardless of what it is, whether it's this, whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whatever it could be, I'm committed to being good for me. Maybe today I'm not having a good day. You know, my miscarriage was in 2017. So we're 2020 now. Surely I should have gotten over it by now to some people. Whereas Mm. other people will know that there are going to be days that are still tough for me. There are memories Mm. that I still have. There are sad days that I still have. And we, we deal with it all differently. I'm never, ever going to forget my children. However, you learn to live with that. And the grief still exists, but in different Mm -hmm. forms. It now Mm -hmm. exists in me having hope for the future. It exists in me feeling grateful that I was ever, ever able to get pregnant, which means that I know I have a, I have a possibility of getting pregnant again, because I actually managed to do it. So then I'm able to turn things around and kind of see the the hope in the midst of the sadness.
1: Despite Rachel's faith and the role that it has played in her healing so far, sometimes people inside our faith communities are not the most supportive or helpful when it comes to tragedies like this. There can be judgment, blame and even superstition as they try to rationalise what has happened. So I asked Rachel about her own thoughts and experiences when it comes to this.
0: I think that we can go down a rabbit hole where we start getting into like too much stuff when it comes to spirits and spirituality as it relates to death and children. And I'm very much aware of those things, of course, being a Christian and being a Bible believing Christian, as well as being like a spirit filled Christian. So I do have some of that knowledge. However, for this particular situation, I have decided to let it go and just be that all things happen for a reason. And I know that everything works out for good because I also see the struggles of some of my friends with their children's fathers and stuff like that. And I do wonder what kind of struggles would I've had with my children's fathers if the children were still alive. And so I kind of like think, well, everything is a blessing in disguise. And I ultimately always believe that God knows best. And I know that can be hard for some of our listeners, but that's what keeps me going and how I'm able to remain positive during these kind of things.
1: Dealing with the loss of your baby can be made harder if you have people around you who are happily enjoying their own parenthood. I know that Rachel has a wide network of friends and family members who are parents, and she also has a bunch of God kids. So I asked her about dealing with this, everyone else's happy ending, when you're still processing your own loss. It's funny
0: because I think sometimes my friends and family do wonder what I'm thinking. But honestly, the one thing that always keeps me going is this one thing, is that if it's possible for them, it's possible for me. And so Mm. I know, and what I do as well is that like, if I ever see a story like on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anywhere, I save it to a folder, especially if they've had like multiple pregnancies and miscarriages or they're much older because I'm 36. And so I kind of like keep a folder and a recollection of possibilities of people still having children later on in life, even when they've had miscarriages and so on. And so... I do live with a sense of hope and I think that's what helps me to keep it going as it were and then my my friends make me godmother to their kids and that helps too and kids love me so that also is always like a reminder of like oh you know you're not, you know, worthless as a woman, which sometimes is weird, because we do place a lot of worth on women for being mothers and so on, which I understand, I completely understand. And I definitely still feel very fulfilled in my life as a woman. And I know some of the listeners might wonder, like, will their life ever, ever feel fulfilled without a child? And yes, it is possible, even if I doubt it but if even if I never ever have children I don't think I will be sad it will be more of a thing of like realizing that everything does happen for a reason and it gives me more time to do certain things that I probably wouldn't be able to do if I had children and even the way I travel and the way I live my life is very spontaneous which you know sometimes isn't always possible with kids and as much as sometimes I do feel sad and I do feel like oh well, why can't this happen for me? And I do wonder, but then I also see the other side. I'm like, well, if I had a child, I certainly wouldn't be able to do X, Y, Z. Or isn't it amazing that I get to give these children back to their parents? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And things like that. Or I can spend my money the way I like on all my God kids and, you know, families, children and stuff. You know, I can spoil them and be the auntie, the glamorous auntie or whatever. And so that's fine. And I think it's just learning to deal with the cards that you're dealt. And that's Mm. how I deal with the sadness and grief that does come up every so often.
1: Now, many of us are nurturers, whether we have kids, whether we don't. And that desire to nurture is within us, whatever our gender may be. Even over lockdown, we've seen the rise of people identifying as plant mums and plant dads. And for years, pet owners have joked and sometimes been deadly serious about their own fur babies. Now, Rachel talked a bit about how she attends to her own nurturing nature and how it can deal with the loss like this and also keep her focused on the future.
0: One of the things that I teach as it relates to femininity is that we are natural creators and being a creative person is also another way that you can nurture those mothering graces and airs that we have. And even things like allowing yourself to feel the need to be a mother because sometimes we squash sides of ourselves we squash down things that we don't want to experience because we're we're afraid of what it might mean but actually it's okay to make sure you're writing down like what you desire to be i desire to be a mother or different ways that you can express that and one of the ways that i do that is by mentoring by coaching by offering advice, like being there for people, also being creative helps as well. I know it might not make sense, but it kind of, the two are related, nurturing and being creative. So you'll find that you're less blocked in that arena when you allow your creative juices to flow, whether that's DIY at home. If you notice a lot of stay-at-home moms in particular love to do other things like they start to do more DIY around the home, more creative crafts, you start to develop a passion for like knitting or doing arts with your children or other things like that. But the same way that they do that, you can also do that even without children, because it helps to keep those creative, nurturing parts of your personality open and flowing. So those are some of the ways that I do it in my life.
1: Wow. Folks, we have really been on a journey here and I'm so grateful that Rachel was so open and generous in sharing about some of the most hardest parts of her life. Finally, I asked her about the things that have helped her to survive and thrive through her experiences so far and I think that there's something that each of us can get from her answer, whether we know exactly what she's been through or whether we don't
0: there are three words that I use all the time and they really identify with what we're talking about today and it is about being brave, powerful and free. When I talk about bravery, I mean being brave enough to face whatever goes on in your life and still know that you have hope for tomorrow and when I talk about being powerful, it's about knowing that you are a powerful person and that life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you and so you still navigate the storms of life, you still navigate the direction of your life even when it feels like you've lost direction. For example, we're in this pandemic times and it can feel a little bit like you don't know what's happening. You don't have control, but You need to make a note of the old serenity prayer where it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And those things really help me navigate what's going on and how I am able to thrive. And it's also knowing that I'm free. I'm free to make mistakes. I'm free to do whatever I want, whether I like it or not. Like it's my choice. I don't have to do things that everybody else does because everybody else does them I also have to listen to advice although it will be better if you did you still need to take ownership for what you do as a person that's how I'm able to thrive I take ownership for my mistakes I take ownership for things that I do wrong and I understand that I am the one who's in charge here you know you can't make me do anything I'm going to make a decision that might lead to xyz However, I'm still in charge of what's happening and we need to take ownership of our own feelings and things like that. And in terms of thriving, it's always knowing that everything is working out for my good. And those things all obviously come from my faith as well. Having a strong faith in God and knowing that everything always works out for my good and that nothing is impossible. I've seen so many different situations As we're talking about pregnancy, I've seen so many different situations. Like I said, I save on my Instagram, especially when I see stories of people, they don't have to be believers. It's not important. I don't care about their faith, but I care about the story when they say they had seven miscarriages and now they're having like triplets or something, or they had IVF and it failed, but then all of a sudden they're like pregnant naturally, or they're 40 and they're having a child. Things that relate to my situation and how, it can happen. I remind myself of those three words every single day. Nothing is impossible.
1: After listening to this episode, if you do need support, please remember the following websites. They provide information and also give support services. There's miscarriageassociation.org.uk, sayinggoodbye.org and petalscharity.org. If you are expecting a baby and you want reassurance then kickscount.org empowers mums to be with knowledge and confidence. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show and also please subscribe wherever you usually listen to podcasts and come back next week. This episode was written by me, Jandella Benson, and produced by Christina Moore, and don't skip.
0: Hold up.